Matthew chapter 8. Uh, we're going to try to make our way through several verses this morning. Last Sunday, we finished this, what was called the Sermon on the Mount, actually Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And in that section, Jesus uh, was teaching his disciples, teaching us about the kingdom of God, um, who enters it, how to enter it, uh, who, who won't enter it, how, uh, how, how to live as children of God. Um, he talks about what to expect as those believers living as children of the king, you know, opposition. He talks about uh, hypocrisy, he talks about tons of things in there, now, all against the backdrop of the teaching of the Pharisees, the teachers of the day. And so what they were proclaiming might have been right technically, but that wasn't really true, the true heart of what God was, was, um, communicating. It wasn't just a, a kingdom of the law, but a kingdom of the spirit, both not only just to hear the word, but actually to do the word. Those who, um, not only, uh, know about God, but who obey him. And that was the, the main thrust of the teaching of the sermon on the mountain, Matthew chapter five through seven. And in that section, again, Jesus points to many important teaching teachings, and the Sermon on the Mount ends in chapter 7, verses 28 through 29. If you flick back, back a page there, um, it, it says there, it says, And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And really what was on display here on the Sermon on the Mount is that Matthew was highlighting that Jesus' authority as the teacher of Israel. He was the king of Israel, the king of the kingdom, and he was teaching. He had the authority to teach. And obviously he, he wrote the Bible. So therefore he's uh, communicating his values. He's in his father's values. And so as Matthew moves us into chapters eight and nine, so we move away from the teaching part. Now he's going to demonstrate his authority of the kingdom of God. He's not just teaching about these things. Now he's going to demonstrate his power and authority as king through signs and wonders that were prophesied of him. And the purpose in these signs and wonders aren't to just so we go, Oh, look at, look at, he's cool. And he can do magical stuff and look how wonderful that it was. No, these were signs and proof that he was exactly who the scripture said he would be the Messiah, the son of God, the King of Israel, the one who had come and caused the blind to see and the mute to speak and the, 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 uh, lame to leap and all these types of things. He was the fulfillment of what the prophets had prophesied. And so in chapters eight and nine, as we Matthew picks back up where he left off, by the way, he left off in chapter four with Jesus doing massive works and miracles. Then Sermon on the Mount is kind of like a parenthesis where it talks about all the teachings he does. He jumps right back into the miracle thing. And so what he's going to do in chapters eight and nine, he's going to give us 10 uh, examples or just 10 things that he's plucking out when he's just ministering to the masses, he's just taking 10 examples to, to show us how he fulfilled these prophecies that, that Jesus has authority. And again, the people were marveling at the end of his teachings that he's not like the scribes and Pharisees. He actually has authority when he teaches. Well, not only does he have authority when he teaches, he has authority in what he's doing. It's amazing. And so it says there in chapter eight, verse one, as we pick up this morning, and when he came down from the mountain, that is obviously the mountain he was teaching from next to the Sea of Galilee there, it says great crowds followed him and behold, verse two, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So the first example that Matthew gives us is that of a, of a leopard where Jesus is going to demonstrate his power over disease, his authority over disease. 
as king of the kingdom. And so Jesus encounters a leper. Now, leprosy, also called Hansen's disease today, it's, it's no joke. It actually is an infectious disease caused by bacteria, they found out, enters into a person's system. And over time, um, <clears throat> uh, by the way, you get it by being around someone enough. And it's not like you just shake their hand and you get it. It's like prolonged uh, exposure to someone. So breathing in their air for long periods of time and living with them, that kind of thing. That's how it usually it was transmitted. And apparently by handling armadillos. So let's just mark that off. If you're living, <laughs> I'm serious. Like if I'm reading, all, you know, how you study for things and you all of a sudden you go off on the YouTube trail, <clears throat> you know, well, it's, there's the pastor's trail and you go, oh my gosh, armadillos. So anyways, if you're living in a place where armadillos, please don't handle them. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but what happens is that over time, the bacteria, it comes into a person's system often over years. It doesn't even show up for like four to 20 years often. And so people can have this and then even know it, but it starts to manifest in their system. And what happens is the bacteria starts to attack tissue and nerves. And that's kind of what happens. And so um, as you have nerve damage, um, then you can't feel things like in your extremities. And, and so if you're walking around and you can't feel your fingers and your toes and your nose and all this kind of stuff in, in, as, as it develops, you're going to get injuries to your hands. You're going to get injuries to your face. And so you obviously have infections or things that go on and you're, it's just a bad snowball. And so people start losing limbs, losing parts of their body. And it's just a, it's a horrible disease. And you, so you just suffer nasty stuff. Needless to say, needless to say, um, it's a scary thing. And it's still around today. I think like a hundred people every year in the United States are, are, um, diagnosed with it. It can be stopped through antibiotics, which is a good thing, but it can't be reversed. The damage can't be reversed. And so, but it's mostly in some third world areas. It's pretty much under control. But in Jesus's days, those who are sp suspected of contracting, um, uh, leprosy were inspected by the high priests. They were the kind of, they did everything apparently. Um, and so they brought them in and they inspected them according to Leviticus 13. If they were deemed to be um, one with leprosy, then they were deemed unclean. That's what they'd be called unclean. They were unclean. And then they were set outside the camp. They were ostracized. And, and you can read about it in, in Leviticus 13 there. But they became unclean and they became outcasts in Jewish society. It says there in verses 45 and 46 of Leviticus 13, I'll read it for you. It says, now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare and he shall cover his mustache and cry unclean, unclean. And he shall be unclean all the days he has a sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so this was the perpetual life of a leper crying unclean away from the society of Israel. And listen, it's not like, well, I mean, we've, we've, we've kind of experienced this a little bit. We should have, you know, we, we should have, we joke around maybe a couple years ago, crying unclean, unclean when we got COVID or whatever it might be. But listen, this is like perpetual your whole life. You cannot get away from the circumstance. It's not like 10 days of quarantine and you're good to go again. Constantly masked, constantly isolated, constantly separated. And you had to cry out if some talk about social distancing, if people were a hundred feet away, you had to cry out unclean, unclean, unclean. What a life, what a stigma, what a 
horrible thing to be isolated outside of the camp of God. And listen, it's different in Israel. That was your life. The center of the city, the synagogue, the people, the worship, your jobs. It was all together. It was all centered around the worship of God. And so to be able to be not remotely near any of that was devastating. And so such is the case with this leper in Matthew eight, but this leper hears of who Jesus is and he's hearing that the multitudes are being healed and he comes out of isolation to Jesus in faith and in humility and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That obviously took a lot for him to do that. Notice it wasn't, if you are willing, you can make me, you can heal me. The issue is cleansing, not healing. Cause you could be healed and still be deemed unclean and be isolated from Israel's technically to be unclean was to be separated from the life of God and God's people and all of this. And no one was able to cleanse this man. It was incurable. He was in an incurable condition in all of Israel's recorded history. Only you have a, a couple examples of that. We have Miriam, which is, I think Moses's sister, older sister, something like that. She got it when she and Aaron teamed up against Moses. And so she got leprosy and she had to probably go through Leviticus 13 there. And then Naaman, he was a Syrian and, and other than that, like you've got this law in the books for a situation that no one got healed from thousands of years of Israel history here. And no one's getting healed from this. And yet this man, he believed that Jesus could make him clean. Something about Jesus. I have to mention um, that there's an obvious Link. Now this is a little, might be a little extra biblical here, but there's an obviously a picture here of sin and leprosy. So just take that with a grain of salt, but there's the same type of thing going on in that leprosy is manifested in the inside and the effects come out and it eventually leads in, in death. But a person with leprosy is unclean. So too is the sinner in God's eyes. A person with leprosy is separated from the camp of God, where God's temple was, his people was, uh, were the worship. And so too, the sinner is separated from God and from the life of God and the worship of God and access to God and God's purposes for them. And all these things, a a person with leprosy is slowly degrading and deteriorating until they die. So too are the effects of sin upon a sinner. And leprosy can be transmitted It's infectious. And by the way, so too, our sin is that way tends to be pretty infectious. And yet this man in his, in his leprosy here, he hears of Jesus. He was in a hopeless state and yet he has hope. That's amazing for he believed that Jesus had the power. Jesus had the authority to heal him, not only to heal him, to cleanse him, I should say to do what no one else can do. And so he came to Jesus believing he came humbly. Notice he's coming humbly. He comes, falls down on his knees. He's not demanding anything of God. He's saying, if you will, if it's your will, asking for mercy, asking for cleansing. He comes what poor in spirit. 
And Jesus responds to him, verse three. What does he say? And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Uh oh. No, no, Jew. Right? Jews do not touch the unclean, let alone lepers. What's going on here? He reached out and touched him and saying, I will. In other words, I'm willing. Be clean. And he spoke, he said, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now the law obviously said the leper wasn't to be touched. And this is because the person touching the leper, what would happen to them? They would get it is that was the fear. But see with Jesus, you've got an issue that, you know, with the priest, they could touch people and they get sick. But what happens, what happens with Jesus? Jesus doesn't get sick. Jesus doesn't become unclean. He is the cleanser. He is when he touches people, they change. Amen. When Jesus touches people, he doesn't become unclean. They become clean. And Jesus touched this man when no one else would be within a hundred feet of him, lest they become unclean and be separated. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And this is what Jesus not only does to lepers, but this is what he does for sinners. This is what he did for me. This is what he does for you. This is what he came to do. You're outside of the camp of God, far off, lost in the kingdom of darkness, unable to get out. And he came in and he touched you. He touched your sin. And through his sacrifice of his death on the cross, no other way around it, no other way through the death of, through his sacrifice, his death, through his resurrection, your sins were paid and he gave you new life through faith in him. That's just amazing grace, amazing grace. God in his love, he sent his son to die for our sins. He sent his son into the camp of lepers. Amen. And whoever believes upon him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus comes to the outcast. He comes to the isolated. He comes to the lonely and he offers them, offers us life. If you're separated from God this morning because of your sin, because of what you've done or who you are and all these types of things, which by the way, all humanity is. And the conviction of God is upon you this morning. There is good news. Jesus just came into your camp and he offers you cleansing, not just healing, cleansing. He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And as he cleanses you, he brings you and cloaks you in his righteousness and makes you a son, makes you a daughter. What love of the love of God. Amazing. Amazing. So respond humbly in faith and let the Lord cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so here Jesus demonstrates his, his authority over disease, over leprosy. And as this man is not only cleansed, but he's entirely healed. And by the way, like I said, antibiotics, they stop the effect. They don't heal. He was healed. He was totally restored. Jesus then cleansed him and, and this guy and healed him. And then he says in verse four, and Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. And this is because he didn't want to draw attention to himself at this time. But he said, go show yourselves to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. 
Now, Leviticus 14, so you move from chapter 13 to verse 14 to chapter 14, Leviticus, it goes from how you identify it to what do you do if a person's cleansed? You know, it's like Leviticus 14 is one of those pages and 13, by the way, well, 14 is kind of like blow the dust off of it. Like we don't use this part of the Bible ever, you know? And so Jesus is saying, Hey, I want you to go do exactly what the law said as a sign to these priests, as a sign to the religious leaders. And, and what they were to do is he says, go, go give the offering that's required. He's talking about Leviticus 14. And what they were to do is they would go to the priest and they were off to offer two birds, two clean living birds and, and cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. And, and, and as one of the bird and one of the birds is slain over water, um, the blood of it is is poured and the water pours out onto the other along with the cedar and the hyssop. And so one dies. And then the one that the, the other bird is set free in a field, the one covered in blood is set free. Now, if you're in the old Testament, you're going, I have no idea what I'm doing here. What is this? Follow it. Exactly. Follow it to the T to the law. Why? Because it's a picture of whom it's a picture of Jesus. He's slain. His blood washes away our sin. He gives us his Holy spirit. We're cleansed with him. We're, we're new creations and we are free in Christ Jesus. Amen. Yes. And we're set free into his field. Amen. I love it. And so what's happening is go offer this off offering before the priests. And what is happening to the priests is they're there and they're like, all of a sudden they get this influx of people coming in with these, <laughs> these offerings are like, what is going on here? And they've got to be going, Hey, who in the world is cleansing all these lepers? What's going on here? And you know, as these things start to mount up and these people are coming in there, the religious leaders are putting two and two together. This is exactly what the scripture said that the Messiah would be doing. That's Matthew's point here. And Jesus sends this man not to don't, don't talk to the masses, but go to the temple and fulfill the law as a proof of the cleansing from the leprosy and proof that Jesus was the Messiah. And so Matthew illustrates that Jesus has the authority over disease as the Messiah has authority in his kingdom. Amen. And so Matthew does that takes that first example with this outcast guy. Now in verses five through 13, Jesus gives us another example of his authority over disease. Matthew, Matthew five, uh, Matthew, sorry, eight verse five. It says, when he had come, when he had entered Capernaum, Capernaum, uh, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And so there's a centurion A centurion is a Roman uh, official, a Roman military guy, over a hundred soldiers. So nothing to, this, this was a serious uh, warrior here. And he was, you don't just become a centurion because you haven't done anything admirable. These people, all of these are spoken of in the new Testament, actually admirably, but he was, he had, he had a command and he was a pretty powerful person in the Roman army. And by the way, this guy is part of the occupying force over Israel at this time. So Jews do not like the Romans, right? And, and this obviously, and what, what you see here is this officer obviously loved his servants. And in this one, he was so concerned. He had such value to him 
he was concerned with their suffering that when he heard that Jesus was coming, he sent for Jesus. And it says there in verse seven, uh, and, and he said to him, I will come and heal him. And, and this is Jesus responding to the centurion. We're going to learn just a second. And it's not actually the guy, the centurion didn't come to him. He sent Jews. Luke's, Luke's gospel gives us the full account there, but but the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to the other, come, and he comes. And, and to my servant, do this, and he does that. Here Jesus is willing to come to this man's home and heal the servant, but the centurion, he won't even allow it. Why not? And actually, like I said, we find out in Luke's account that uh, in chapter seven, if you're taking notes, is that this man was so respected um, by the Jews for his love of the Jews. And, and this is a Roman centurion who has actually got the respect of the local people. He loved Israel so much. He, I, th- I think he was a God fearer. He, he was probably a convert to Judaism. He built them a synagogue. And so the leaders of the synagogue see this guy. He's in pain. He goes, well, they must have made the connection. Jesus is around. He's like, please go get, go have Jesus. Ask him to come do this. And so these Jews go on their way. They talk to Jesus and Jesus is coming back. And then as, as the centurion finds out that, that Jesus is on his way, he sends his friends and says, no, 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 no. Don't come into my house. I'm unworthy for you to come into my house. And there might've been a cultural thing there where the Jew wasn't to come into a Gentile's house, but it was, you can tell this guy had humility. He knew he was because he calls him Lord, Lord, don't come into my house. Now here's a man of authority calling Jesus Lord. And that's the point is he understood authority. And that's what this whole thing is about. And he says, listen, you just need to say the word. I understand this. I tell everybody what to do and they do it. And just as I, when I speak, I have the full power of Rome behind me and everything I say and do. So when you speak, you have the full power of the kingdom of heaven behind you and anything you say will happen. That's where he's coming from. And what, what does Jesus do when he hears him? Verse 10. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you with no one in Israel, have I found such faith? No one in Israel. Listen, I've been walking around and doing all these things and healing people. No one in Israel has such faith. Who has faith here? Probably the Gentile oppressor. Why do you think Matthew's pointing out the leper, the Gentile? There's a point. It's no mistake that Matthew begins demonstrating the authority of Jesus with his interactions with the social outcasts, the leper, the centurion, but it was, they understood faith. They understood faith. And how many of us as churched people, You know, we can know all the verses and know all the things. And yet we don't trust God. And yet someone on the outside trying to reach the Lord, man, they have more faith than we do. It's amazing. You know, and Jesus says in verse 11, I I tell you, many will come from the East and the West. That's Gentiles. Many of will come from the East and West and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, that's the Jews will be thrown into outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing and teeth. Think, let that sink in for a second, right? Let that sink in for a second. The ones who should know better, the sons of the kingdom, the Jews. And again, this isn't speaking of born again people. These are the people, the Jews had the prophets. They have their sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, they have the law. They've, they've seen the prophecies. They know the scripture. These are the ones who should be at the table in the kingdom. Amen. But what's Jesus saying? Many from the outside are going to be in and the ones who are on the inside are going to be out. Where are they going to be? In outer darkness. It's not about your church membership. It's not about your lineage of Christianity. Although those things are important. I don't want to say they're important, but they are not salvation. It's not about did I tithe or not, or have I done enough good works and have I done all that stuff? Those are secondaries. Those are peripheral things. And we don't want to minimize those things. Those are good works, right? And things that we should enjoy, you know, and God's blessed us with, but that don't mix those up as a means of salvation. Like the Jews were doing, Hey, we're descendants of Abraham. Therefore we're in, we go to temple. Therefore we're in, we've done the sacrifices. Therefore we're in, and they don't have faith. Jesus is saying, that's how you get in. It's faith, faith in me alone. And Gentiles are going to have faith. Here's an example of one. They'll be in, they'll be seated at the table as adopted, grafted in sons, as grafted in daughters into the kingdom. While some of you will be on the outside in outer darkness where there's gnashing of teeth in hell, lake of fire. And then he says to the centurion verse 13, go and let it be done for as, as, as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Wow. Amazing, huh? He said it and it happened. What do you know? <laughs> Again, Characteristics of God. Verse 14, another example of authority over disease. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Now remember in verse five, I didn't really mention it, but they're back in Capernaum, right? That's Peter's home. That's his hometown. That's where his house was. And by the way, Peter had a wife and he had a mother-in-law. And so if you come from a Catholic bathroom, you know, the first Pope had a wife apparently. Okay. So, um, so you got to chew on that for a little bit, right? But his wife's mom was sick with a fever. Jesus walks in the house. And he sees her sick. Verse 15. And he touched her hand and he felt her fever left. The fever left and, and she rose and began to serve him again. Jesus has authority over disease, over leprosy, over someone paralyzed in tremendous pain, over someone sick in bed with a fever. Jesus touched her hand and felt, and, and the fever left. And, and I love the response of, of the healing. I love the response of, of her heart. I think, I think she had a heart for service and her 
Sickness was hindering her from doing it anyways, but that's a speculation. But what happened? What did she do after Jesus did that gracious act in her life? She got up and served him. She got up and served him. Amen. And so too, when God has been so gracious to us, what's our response? Serve the Lord. Serve him wholeheartedly. Amen. Yeah. And then verse 16, he, he just, Matthew just opens it back up to what's really going on. He was just taking a couple examples. Now he speaks in the draw, the broader sense here. He says in that evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So we've got the demon pre- oppre- oppressed and you've got the sick. And it seems to be all jumbled up together here. And this was to fulfill verse 17. This is why I say it's all jumbled up. Cause he says, this was to fill. What do you mean by this? Well, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and cast out by spirits and with a word, he healed all who were sick. That's what 17 is referring to. It's referring to all of that. So this is what 17 means. This was to fill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our disease. Now, Matthew is pointing out here that Jesus as the son has a power and authority over disease and he has power and authority over the enemy. And he's going to go back to that here in a bit, but uh, we'll get to that next week. But the enemy had been oppressing the people of Israel. He had been possessing them and causing various diseases and sicknesses in them. And this is what we see in the new Testament. I don't, I'm not getting charismatic on you. I'm telling you exactly what was going on. People were mute. People were deaf. People had various sicknesses and diseases. Some of them brought about by satanic influence in their life. That's what was going on. And what Matthew is saying is that prof that prophecy in Isaiah 53, that one would come who would deliver people out of, out of under illness and disease. And it would seem that the context here is that some of that disease and all that stuff was brought about by the hands of the enemy. And if you back up, that's exactly who he's, he's coming against. Isn't he? He's not just like out to fight cancer. He's not out to fight, you know, ALS or whatever it is. He's out to defeat the enemy, Right. And how does the enemy manifest himself in 31 flavors of junk? Now we can't blame everything on the devil, right? But there's a lot of stuff going on in Israel that was definitely a result of his hand. And by the way, there's a lot of stuff going on today that we can't put our finger on. We don't understand what's going on. And and it's a result of his, his influence in our society and what he's doing. So Isaiah 53 is saying, listen, he came to take people who were oppressed by the enemy and who were sick. And he came to deliver them and to free them. That's what he came to do. Fight the enemy and fight the effects of the enemy. And he did. And what Matthew, again, this is Isaiah 53 it's pointing to Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Anyone who tells you that Isaiah 53 is about anyone other than Jesus Christ, they're, they're, they're wrong. They're wrong. So people will tell you, Oh no, this is about Israel, the suffering servant at the hands of the Gentiles. No, this is about 
the servant of Israel. This is about the Messiah, the Christ. This is exactly who it's about. And we see here, here is an exact fulfillment. This is Matthew saying, this is what this is about. Surely if you keep, if you just read the context of Isaiah 53, four and five, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities that upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with it, and by his wounds, we are healed. Not only did Jesus come to heal their physical bodies, but he came to take away their sin. So this is what Matthew had in mind here as he quotes Isaiah 53 there, that that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who took their illnesses and bore their diseases, the son of God. And what verses 16 and 17 show us is, is demonic oppression that Jesus had authority over. He just flat out has authority over the enemy. Now, I know we ask like, well, why am I sick? Well, sometimes it's because of our own sin. Sometimes it's because of the enemy. Sometimes I don't know. I think this is, this is part of the reason why James and his wisdom says, Hey, are any of you sick? Man, confess your faults to one another. And then by the way, come to the elders and and let them pray for you. Cause there's discernment there. What's going on? Is this, is this a, is this something that's the enemies at work or is it just, you're going through a sickness and we just need to pray for you. Or is it something that's just going to run its course? We, you know what I'm saying is that we don't know because we don't know. And we're walking around with the effects of all this stuff. When God wants us to be discerning people. And I think God has some deliverance for us and I, he has some freedom for us. He has some healing and things he wants to do, but we're just keep going down the road. We're going. I'm not saying he always will. Listen, I've had, you know, I, you know, I don't want to talk about my own person. I've, I've been suffering for a long time and it's not gotten better. And maybe it's my own fault. You know, the whole mind game. But I know he's good. I know the Lord wants to fight against the enemy. And yes, we're all kind of going towards the cliff, right? Physically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of us really know we're like, got our toes over the edge. Right. And I'm just saying that, I don't know, maybe the Lord would want to heal some of us. Maybe the Lord would want to show himself strong in your life. Maybe the Lord would like to just love on you a little bit. Remind who's boss. What kind of authority he truly has. And the lies of the enemy would just be put in their place. Now, I don't want to say that we tell God what to do. No, he is Lord. Lord, if you will. Always. Always. But more prayer, more fellowship, more confession, more discernment, more seeking as well, more asking more of that, more Jesus. (laughs) And and again, Matthew, the big point here, if you walk away with it, it's just, listen, Jesus has authority over the bad guy. It's not as if Jesus is going, Oh no. (laughs) Oh no, no. He busted in light came into darkness and he's taken his kingdom back. And that's what he's doing. And he's just healing people. He's just flat out healing people who have 
no way of healing themselves. He's just walking into cities and healing the masses. He's just doing this. That's our Lord. And that's what his kingdom's like. And that's what his kingdom is going to be like. He's going to wipe away every tear folks on that day. There's going to be no more stuff you have to worry about. He's got it. Maybe he wants to do some of that now. I'm open to it. But to deny, you know, I'm not saying again that every sickness is being brought about by demons. That's obviously not biblical, but to deny that what was going on in Israel wasn't a result of some massive satanic oppression is to not understand what Jesus was really going on up against. He was going up against the enemy and he was setting people free physically. But here's the thing is that people could be set free physically and then turn around and crucify Jesus. Because what they wanted was the physical and not the substance. And this is the thing with the gospel. This is the danger of just focusing on, you know, the, the, the feeling and the charismaticness of all that kind of stuff is that, listen, we are, are heading towards the cliff. It's not just about the here and now. It's about his eternal kingdom. And if we're just focused on bread, if we're just focused on hearing, if we're just focused on the now, that is not the kingdom view. God not only wants to heal the leper, he wants to bring him into the kingdom of God to have true healing, true repentance, the true cleansing, not just the cleansing of his body, but the cleansing of his soul. Amen. So we need to make the priorities right. These were all signs pointing to people on a very physical, tangible level that Jesus is the Messiah because he wanted to bring out about a greater healing, which is salvation, a lasting healing. And what we're watching here in Matthew eight is the authority of Jesus over Satan, over his demons and over the effects of everything he was doing. And so as people saw Jesus's authority and power, he had, and, and that he had in the healing that he gave and the teachings that were unlike anything they'd ever heard. They began to follow him all over the place. And verse 18 says, now when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. He's telling his disciples, we're going to the other side. And so Jesus and his disciples are about to get into a boat and go on the other side of the lake. Verse 19, we're going to close up here. And a scribe came up to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. He's watching everything Jesus is doing. He's a scribe. Remember one of the guys that he was preaching against. He sees what he's obviously wants to be a follower of Jesus. He wants to learn him. And he says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And that's a bold claim. Maybe it's an emotional response. And what does Jesus say to him there? Jesus says to him, Verse 20, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus knows how to get into people's hearts. And what the scribe was really, was he really willing to follow Jesus? Was he really willing to follow Jesus? Jesus wanted him to follow him. But did he know what he was saying? Oh, and I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus is getting on a boat and his destination is headed towards a storm. That's what's going They're going to head into a storm. And he tells this guy, listen, 
where I'm going, you're not going to have the mattress that you like. You're not going to be able to plug in your CPAP. You're not going to have your fast food. You're not going to have your gluten-free stuff. You're not going to have what you want. The comforts are, they're secondary. They're not important. If you are living after those things, you're going to be, it's going to be the most difficult thing following me. How many times might God call us to something, but we immediately, we want to follow him, but when it's like, ah, well, that's inconvenient. Ah, I'm going to suffer. No, thanks. I'll just do it next time. Guilty. Anyone else? What if I, I don't want to commit to that. I mean, I can't, it's it's not. Oh Lord, I'm, I'm yours. Oh really? The implication here is that Jesus was looking into the guy's heart and showing him what he had to resolve to be his follower. He had to put a Christ above comfort. Man, that's convicting, isn't it? Verse 21. And another of his disciples said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So Jesus is getting into a boat. He's about to leave. He's leaving his headquarters in Capernaum. He's going, going to go on the other side. They don't know where he's going. And, and, and people are going, okay, hey, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I want to be with you. Want, man, look what you're doing. This is amazing. I want to be with you. But let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now this guy is called a disciple here. That means he was devoted to learning from Jesus. And, but now Jesus is moving and, uh, Lord, I want to follow you, but let me first, let me first, let me first. Go bury my father. Now it wasn't that this guy's dad died yesterday and Jesus is saying, no, you can't go to the funeral. That's not what was going on. When you died as a Jew, you bury you the same day. He's saying, let me wait until my dad dies before I follow you. That's what's going on there. Let me wait. Some people say it's because of the inheritance. Some would say it's an obligation to his father, which is a good thing. We don't know. But what does Jesus say? You follow me and let the dead bury the dead. That's a hard saying. In other words, listen, your dad isn't alive and neither are the people who are going to bury them who don't follow me. They might be spiritually dead. You want to have life. You follow me above your father above your relationships, above your obligations, above all these things, you follow me. That gets messing with things, doesn't it? That's a hard response, but it cut to the heart of what Jesus calls for to follow Jesus above all is to truly have life. Jesus calls this man, father is calls him dead. And those who would stay and bury him above all above following Jesus, he calls them dead. So many of us have chosen to follow Jesus at a more convenient time. How many of you guys have a let me first in your life? I want to serve. I know you're calling me to do this, but let me first. And sadly, some of us did that when the, when the Lord had a call on your life and he was pulling at your heart. You said, let me first and the window closed. And then you developed a life of let me first. 
You know, this is why I get nervous about like the Dave Ramsey, you know, build your wealth now so that you can live like no one tomorrow. There's a lot of great things in there. I'm not saying there aren't, there isn't a lot of great wisdom in that. Okay. And, and all that stuff, but that's not what Jesus says. He says, follow me now. Don't worry about building your wealth now, but I'm in debt. Seek first the kingdom, but I have horrible habits. Yeah. Repent. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Trust me. Obey me. Love me. I've got those things. Don't let the world dictate your life. Come to me. I am life. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. Amen. Like over and over and over. It's not a bad thing to be devoted to the care of your parents. It's actually a godly and a good thing. And those who don't take care of their own family are worse than non-believers. We know what the rest of the scriptures say, but that's not the issue here. That's not the issue of taking care of his parents. He's saying, I'm going to follow this. I have other priorities. You're second. And to every person that says you're second, no matter what that second is, no matter how noble of a cause or whatever it is, Jesus comes to you and says, no, follow me. Whether it's your kids or your marriage or your wife or, you know, or your husband or whatever it is, follow me. I'm, I, I gotta be Lord. You've got to submit yourself to me. Trust me in those things. And it's hard. And how many of you kind of go one foot in the boat and then you get out? I do that all. Anybody else? They do it. The disciples do it. Okay. I'm, I got to stop preaching now. I know. <laughs> Whatever it is that keeps you from following him, it is dethroning the Lord from your life, so to speak. It's something else on the throne. Put it in its place and follow Jesus. Get into his boat and set out into the storm. We're going to pick up in 23 and 24. Where I'm going to stop. I promise. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. He got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Did that guy, did those guys get into the boat with Jesus? I hope so. I hope they decided I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to get into the boat because that's where he's going. I don't know where he's going, but I'm following him. Amen. In verse 24 says, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea getting into the boat and following Jesus will quite often lead you right in the middle of a storm. Being in the will of God does not mean you are free from hurricanes. Amen. But he's in the boat and you're with him. There's no better place to be. Amen. All right, Lord, so much here. Continue to teach us. We submit our hearts to you and we ask, Lord, that we would not only be hearers, but doers. In the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we pray to you, Father. Amen. God bless you. There's prayer tonight at seven o'clock if you want to come pray together. So God bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord.